All right, everyone, all the kids are excused. Please go with Miss Susan, with Elder Susan. You're staying. Miss <laughs> Veronica is joining us for worship today. We have a separate time of worship um, downstairs. Oh, my mic's really loud. All right. Well, uh, it's good to be with all of you. Um, it's been a very difficult week, uh, to say the least. As you know, I was out all last week on vacation. Um, PQ and I were talking, and I realized that I had not taken, um, had not missed a Sunday since, uh, for over a year since the pandemic began. So literally never took a Sunday off. Uh, and so decided to last week. And, you know, um, what a week I chose because um, it was not as restful and enjoyable as I was hoping. Uh, that it would be with my family um, away. Um, hearing news, you can't get away from the news. Um, hearing news of the increasing and ongoing incidents of violence and racist attacks against Asians and particularly against um, our elderly, which is uh, really even more distressing that it's um, against the elderly. And then shockingly, uh, what happened last Tuesday in the Atlanta, Georgia area, the murder of eight people, uh, six of whom um, confirmed um, deceased Asian, uh, six of them were Asian women. So like many of you, I've been experiencing and just uh, going through um, just a wide range of emotions from anger to fear to uh, anxiety and sadness to frustration, even despair at times, and also feeling completely overwhelmed and worn out. I, I just can't anymore, you know? Just so much um, in the news and media. And I've been trying to process it all, even while being away from you all and technically being on vacation, just trying to process it all um, in the various roles and the various, uh, my various identities as an Asian woman who has experienced um, racism firsthand, as I'm sure uh, many of you have, being people of color. Uh, also trying to process it as a mother. I have two uh, young girls, they live in this world, and so even being on vacation, talking with them as we're listening and watching CNN. Trying to process it as a daughter, worried for my elderly mother who lives alone. Um, you know, she goes out alone and, and does things alone. And also as a Christian, asking what is the right response as a follower of Jesus? And then also as a pastor, how do I care for my predominantly Asian congregation in the midst of this? What can I do? What am I supposed to do? How can I um, care for my uh, people? Again, as, as I'm sure many of you are having similar um, feelings, thoughts, um, experiencing the similar struggles, and there's still a lot of internal things that I'm working through. Um, yesterday was particularly difficult as I was trying to uh, write this sermon, and as many of you know, it was my 25th wedding anniversary my husband, handsome husband of 25 years. So all this, just my emotions. <laughs> They're coughing for you, honey. Um, so again, not feeling that celebratory and all, all these emotions, just, I just, I, 
just tears, you know, I'm just going to be honest and just crying every time I'm trying to write the sermon or just even thinking about 25 years with Hoon and um, just tears of, of um, grief and sadness. And so, again, as I said, I'm working through uh, still many of these um, processing this, but today I want to speak, speak to you as a pastor. So I come to you as a pastor. That is what this platform is for. Uh, and I am speaking to you as a pastor. So I want to share some of my thoughts as a pastor. With all that's happening and us still being under the, um, the rules and the protocol um, and restrictions because of the pandemic, I think many of us have actually forgotten that we're in the season of Lent. How many of us even remember that we're in the season of Lent? I know we're not Catholic, and usually it's like, oh, Catholics, they're the ones that really, you know, celebrate or, or remember it, or they give up something for Lent. And probably some of us, the only reason we know that we're in the season of Lent is because Wendy's has their fish burger back. I love Wendy's fish burger. I, I live for it every Lent. And, but then it goes away when Easter... Jesus rises and the fish burger goes away. So, but um, I think even Chick-fil-A is offering fish burgers during this time, but I don't know why fish particularly. But so because of that, we, you know, we think of Lent or, or we remember it. But I think in the midst of just, just everything that's happening, a lot of us have, have forgotten what season we're in. That as Christians, this is a very important season. It's 40 days that begins with Ash Wednesday, and it leads up to Easter, not including the Sundays. And it's meant to be a season of self-reflection. It's supposed to be a season of confession um, uh, for Christ's followers, and and a, a season of preparation to celebrate our Lord's resurrection. Let's be honest. How many of us are in that mode? We can barely get up in the mornings with, with everything, you know. Um, but I want to remind you that that's the season we're in, and I believe that it is a very appropriate season for us. The United States is not a Christian nation, um, but for churches and for Christians in America, I do believe that it is time to lament. It's time to uh, lament its past failures regarding racism and seriously wrestle with our call, with the church's call to be salt and light, to be a city on a hill, a light that shines before others, that they may see the good works of the church. And because they see the good works of the church, of churches and of Christians, thereby glorify God in heaven. That's what we're to be about. Now, we're currently, as uh, Pastor Q announced, currently going through our six-week campaign, so not ignoring that on the screen. Um, Life on Mission, and as he mentioned, we are in week five, but this is um, our fourth action step, grow, and that's what I'm going to be uh, talking about today. So uh, Life on Mission by Tim Harlow, and as I said, the two, ver- two passages that we want to look at, and our theme and our focus is going to be on grow. That is the fourth action step. As I've been reading all the news articles regarding Robert Aaron Long, he's the shooter in last Tuesday's uh, tragedy in Atlanta, I cannot emphasize enough how crucial this step is, this fourth step of grow. Right? I'm going to bring these two thoughts together. There's been a lot of media reports and articles um, in, that's been published about how this individual is a Christian. 
have you read that? Have you heard about it? They're reporting that. He carried a Bible with him, a lot of the news outlets are saying. He actively participated in a Christian um, club during high school. Um, the Washington Post even said, this is a Washington Post article, uh, quote, says, Long's former youth pastor, Brett Cottrell, has struggled to reconcile the mission-driven boy that he knew in his youth group at Crab Apple First Baptist Tree in Woodstock, Georgia, with the young man who ended up confessing, according to police, to the killings of eight people. Oops, I'm sorry. This is a new... Um, uh, control. The pastor um, goes on to say, the youth ministry was his deal. Whether it was outreach to younger children or summer mission trips to Costa Rica, Pittsburgh, and Brunswick, Georgia, Long seemed kind and happy, a leader. And even um, it says, uh, he was quoted in his high school yearbook saying, I really feel like God is wanting me to be a leader in the church. This is this young man who is saying this, I really feel like God is wanting me to be a leader in the church. That's a quote in his high school yearbook, the same person that has confessed to um, the, the shootings and the killings last week. His parents are active in the church. His father is described as a valued lay leader. We know that it was his parents, actually, that called the police and turned him in when they um, saw their son's face on TV. So as I was reading about this, um, again, from the perspective of a pastor, I'm thinking, so what went wrong? What, what happened to him? What happened here? Of course, we will never completely fully know or uh, know the answer to this or fully understand, but I believe that the fourth action that we're talking about today, grow, can help shed some light on this. So a brief review of so far, as I said, the five action steps. First is connect. You all should have the first week, um, well, the first week was actually overview. And then the second week was the first action step of connecting. And because Jesus was always spending time with the people who needed to hear his good news most, right? It was the marginalized, it was maybe the desperate, it was uh, the downtrodden, it was the hurting. He spent mo most of his time with these ones. We should be doing likewise, trying to connect. And secondly, serve. The second greatest commandment is what? To love our neighbors as ourselves, right? And so we love them by serving them, by being kind to them, acts of service to them. And thirdly, share. At some point, we need to be able to tell people why we love Jesus and why it's important. Why is Jesus important in my life? Why do I follow him? Why do I call myself his disciple? Why do I love him? And then fourthly, um, our focus for today is grow, which is another word for discipleship. And this is what I'm talking about. So what does grow have to do with mission? What does it have to do with what we're talking about? Our mission here, uh, our life on mission. Well, our mission on earth here, mission does not stop after helping people find Jesus. It doesn't stop after uh, we get people to begin to even follow Jesus. The mission is to help, be, to help people become like Jesus. Do you get it? It doesn't simply stop with introducing them to Jesus, helping them to find Jesus, or helping them to begin their journey, but the mission is to help people become more 
like Jesus. And that's what Jesus came to do. It's, he's very clear. He came to make disciples, and that's what he calls us to do as well, to make disciples. You know the famous Great Commission passage? Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 through 20, Great Commission. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. Often in churches, there seems to be this strange um, dichotomy between evangelism versus discipleship or reaching the lost versus growing disciples. You've heard those discussions, right? Like there's this dichotomy between are we a seeker-sensitive church where all our resources and everything, to, everything that we do, our mission, our goal, all we're about is, is seeking and, and saving them? Or some people said, well, we'll just let those big mega churches, fancy churches with the resources do that. We're all about making sure that our current members are growing. We're all about putting our money and our resource into discipling, growing our people, maturing our people, feeding our people well. Do you know what I'm saying? There seems to be this strange um, dichotomy between these two. But Jesus, for Jesus, it was never, ever, it was never an either or. It was always both. It was always both. The great commandment commands us to do both, to go to the lost, evangelize, introduce them, talk to them about Jesus, but then also, as you read in the verses, to make disciples and to teach them. If you're going to teach them, you need to spend time with them and you know um, continue to teach them and model it. As teachers know, the best way to teach someone is to uh, cause them to be active in it, to model that behavior, and to spend time with them. And that was Jesus, and Jesus is our example. So both are part of our life on mission. Should we be more concerned with salvation, making sure we save as many as possible, or with discipleship? making sure that we're maturing people, feeding them, and growing people well. Both. Again, I say both. Because Jesus, think about this. Jesus, what do we say? We say to people, do you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Right? Not just as your Savior, or not just even as your Lord. Think about it. Oftentimes, it's linked together. So both. Jesus is both our Savior and our Lord. You cannot separate the two, although some people try right? You know some people who have accepted Jesus, but it doesn't seem at all like they even understand what lordship means. They're not bringing their life under the lordship of Jesus. You know what I'm talking about, right? Right? Some believe that salvation is required and discipleship is optional. Many Christians are guilty of this kind of thinking. Salvation, yes, yes, people need to be saved. Salvation, yes, it's required. It's the only thing. And that discipleship is optional. This is not true. And that's why we have people who seem to, like I said, have accepted Jesus as their Savior, but don't know the first thing about making him Lord, right? Do you know people like that? We know people like that. Jesus came to make disciples. He didn't, make, he didn't come to make church members. He didn't even actually come to make converts. He came to make people follow him and to become more like him. That's what a disciple is. 
Disciple simply means a student, a learner, a follower. And this is our mission. We're also called to this. We're called to be about making disciples. And discipleship requires growing. Discipleship, an active learner, you're always growing, right? You can't be stagnant. With the knowledge that you have yesterday, you just can't survive. With technology moving at the speed of light, things keep changing, things upgrading, things getting better, things improving, you got to keep up. In that same way, you've got to keep growing. If, As parents, you know, or maybe you as yourself, when you were young, how many of you guys had that one spot in your house where you get to stand up against the wall and then you mark? with a little, um, you know, with a pencil or pen, right? Everybody has this. And then you measure up, oh, you know, three, three feet, five inches. And then next year at the same time, maybe on your birthday or something, or on January 1st, you measure again. Oh, I grew an inch. Oh, I grew a few inches. You are keeping track of your growth. You are marking it, and you look forward to it, and you're excited about it, and you visually can see it. If you're not growing, thriving, and flourishing, then you're dying, Right? And so we need to think in that way about our spiritual lives, how important growth is. So there are two things that are very critical to helping the people of God grow. And therefore, it's essential for every follower of Jesus. Now, these two that I'm going to mention, they're in, they're in um, addition to the things like regular you know, church uh, corporate worship gathering and things like praying. These are givens, right? But the two that I want to focus on today that is crucial for us in helping us to grow, first is the Bible. So simple, right? The Bible, the written word of God. How crucial is that? The written word of God. You simply cannot grow without the Bible. Not only should you have a reading plan that you're using to read through the Bible in a year or so, you should be uh, both regularly reading it and consistently reading through it, you should be studying it. It's not enough to just read through it and then be able to say, oh, I've read through the Bible 20 times in my lifetime or something like that. But are you studying it? Are you, are you growing and learning from it? The goal here is transformation. It's not even memorization of scripture. It's not even being able to spout off, you know, I know, you know, how many scriptures and I know, you know, all where it's located and all this information, factual information. But the goal here is transformation to become less of our sinful selves and to become more like our holy Jesus. That's what happens when you're really in the word regularly and consistently. Apostle Paul said in Romans 12, 2, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is also the memory verse for all of you uh, as we're doing this uh, campaign together. This is your memory verse this week. It's a very well-known verse. So it's saying, don't let the culture of this world shape or mold you. But instead, you need to, your mind needs to be renewed. You need to be transformed so that you can be more like Jesus. The Bible is spiritual food for our soul. Just as our bodies cannot grow without physical food, we cannot grow spiritually without our daily spiritual food. And then secondly, the second thing that is crucial to us to grow is being in community with other believers. Being in community with other believers. I have said this once and I will say it a thousand times. I don't understand how people 
can say that they are a um, growing and um, you know devout, um, you know super uh, Christian if they are not a part, a regular participating part of some sort of community. If they're not going to church, if they're not regularly going to some sort of uh, a, a group, a fellowship, a Bible study, or or something like that, I just don't understand. Because you cannot be a Christian. Uh, as an island or by yourself all alone. You need people. We need a group, a community, a fellowship of believers who are intentional about helping you grow. They have to be intentional about this. Life groups are essential. It's not just some, something, you know, some cute uh, ministry that we created. It's more than just a small group. Um, and so this is a plug for if you're not currently part of some sort of a life group, you really must get yourself into one. It's where you do life together. It's where you accept spiritual responsibility for one another, um, to help one another grow to be more like Jesus. It's where there's accountability, um, where there's challenging and rebuking one another in love. Where else are you going to be able to get rebuked and people are going to call you out to your face about how you are a disciple and follower of Jesus? This is the verse we want to look at, Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, again, a very well-known verse. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. We need one another. We need people who really know us and people we really know. It's got to be a give and take. It's not that they know us and can speak into our lives, but for us to grow, we have to be in a place where we can um, confidently speak into other people's lives as well, that um, we know them as well. A safe place where people are not afraid to challenge us, where they're not afraid to encourage us to grow, to sharpen us, as the Bible says, uh, as iron sharpens iron. We need to meet regularly with the same people, develop the strong, um, trusting relationship. And that's why gathering together is so important. I love that this building is called The Gathering Place, and we are part owners of The Gathering Place. With this pandemic, I just want to say I do understand all of you who are at home, looking straight into the camera here. I do understand people's caution about in-person gatherings, Please do what your level of comfort allows you. Um, please do what your level of comfort allows you in terms of joining uh, in-person church events and such. But I do lament the fact. I do lament the fact that we cannot freely gather together in person. There's just something to be said about sharing a physical space together. You know, there's just a shared proximity of being able to smell each other, touch each other. I know it's not always a good smell, but, but, you know, being able to just be in the presence. There's something about presence, right? Of being with one another. And yes, um, virtual, I mean, this, it's, it's, uh, the second alternative and it has been good. And we, I am so thankful for that, uh, technology. But I do encourage you, those of you at home and, and just everyone else, I encourage you to prayerfully consider gathering together in person. Again, up to your level of comfort. But to, to really 
go before God and wrestle with it and prayerfully consider it. That's how important I genuinely believe that it is to not give up meeting together in person. Because I'm afraid that this virtual participation, um, everything doing virtual, you know, popping in through uh, virtually for prayer meetings, for worship, for ministry time, for Bible studies and such things like that, I'm afraid that it's just it might just simply become a habit and it's just somehow easier and so that's why you're doing it. That it's not more of a deeper issue of, um, you know, health concerns or truly uh, you've you know, your conscience before God says that for whatever reason you should not be joining in person. But uh, that is my fear, is that maybe it's gone on so long now that many are considering it um, to be just easier and to be quite frank, uh, lazy about it. So again, it's not a condemnation, um, you know, to your comfort level, I, I totally understand. But I want you to just consider prayerfully going before God about it. So whether virtually or in person, The key is meeting regularly. Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. That's the key, meeting regularly. Please do not give it up because we grow best in community, and that's a fact. We grow best in relations with others. So as I mentioned earlier about Aaron Long, um, Aaron Long was considered by many to be a good Christian, at least during his high school days, it says. He was baptized, He, uh, he attended church regularly, And I asked myself, as I was reading, you know, just everything in the media and stuff, is he saved? Is he a disciple of Jesus? Was he regularly feeding himself with the word of God? Was he regularly in his Bible? says that he carried around a Bible, but that doesn't mean he opened it, right? So, you know, a lot of us um, can attest to. Was he in community with other believers, doing life? with other believers who knew him and and he knew them. That whole sharpening and, and just, you know, coming together and doing life together. And if he had been, could this tragedy, this act of violence, been avoided somehow? This is an article from Christianity Today for pastors. I don't know if you guys can see it. Oh, it's pretty clear. This article on Christianity today for pastors. The title is Atlanta Shooters um, Church Ties Raise Questions for Pastors. And the subtitle underneath it says, we must know, and this is speaking to pastors, we must know our congregations well enough to respond to the false gospels and distorted teachings infiltrating their spiritual lives. As a pastor, I ask myself this question, how well do I know my people? How well do I know my congregation. How well do I know you? I am going to admit and confess that it has been exponentially harder with the pandemic, not without having the regular gatherings and just uh, of, of being together, of just being. We don't even have to be doing Bible study together or praying together, or, but just the interaction, the simple interaction, right? I don't know how many of you are doing. I don't know. And that does concern me. It's concerning all pastors. Hebrews 13 says that we're to keep watch over your souls as as those who will have to give an account. That's scary to me. In the Bible, Hebrews 13, 17 says that leaders are to keep watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. I will have to give an account 
for you, for my congregation, for my people, as other church leaders and pastors and elders too uh, are supposed to do. As you are doing life together in your life groups, how well do you know each other? As a community, a body of Christ, we need to go beyond a superficial surface of just nice Christianity. Are you okay? I'm okay. And, you know, just this niceties. And we really need to get into each other's business. I think it is time for us to just break through the barriers of just being nice, polite, um, you know, following uh, proper etiquette and things like that, but just get in each other's faces for a lot of things. I think it is high time for that. Some of you may be thinking that I'm actually giving too much attention, thought, and consideration to this shooter and not to the victims or to our feelings of grief and our collective feelings of anger. I know as Asian Americans, again, many of us are are grieving, we're still processing, we're feeling very anxious for our loved ones, we're angry, we're afraid. And a pastor friend of mine in New Jersey posted this. Um, These are his thoughts, and I just, when I was reading it, I was just so moved, and I was just like, amen, amen. I couldn't have said it any better, and so I took it from him, and I want to share it with you. So, let's see. All right, this is my friend in New Jersey. From the Psalms and the Old Testament prophets, we read how the people of God are filled with anguish and lament, crying out to God because of their oppressors. We're reminded that the best way to process our complex emotions is through unhurried and unfiltered prayer before our God. When we take the time to process our trauma and pain in prayer, we're greatly reminded how much God cares for us. In fact, It is such prayer that serves as a protectant over our hearts against furthering the cycle of hate. As we lay our pain on Jesus, we will find consolation and healing for our hearts and the strength and wisdom we need to persevere, to labor for change, and to love those who persecute us. But by no means does this mean that we're to stay silent. We are to call out and stand against racism, racism anywhere. We're called to protect those who cannot protect themselves. But in all of that, we are to do so with love, fueling our hearts. Love for God, love for our enemies, and love for ourselves. So in this difficult time, as many of us, most of our congregation are Asian American, and we have uh, African American black members as well, just people of color. It's just been really, really difficult, uh, not just this past year, but just living in America. A lot of things have, um, it's always been there, it's just not been brought to the surface in such a huge in-your-face type of way is what I'm saying. And because of that, all our emotions and and just everything is so raw because even um, memories of experienced racism or things are just coming to the forefront. And it's things that we need to deal with. I truly believe everybody needs inner healing. Um, Jesus is the great Holy Spirit, is our great inner healer, our great comforter. And so we need to turn attention to God. Um, And as Christians, even as we are hurting and as we are grieving and as we are affected every day, more things can come up in the news tomorrow. I I can't predict what's going to happen. But as Christians, what I implore you is that we are to respond in a different way, 
not just hate for hate, not just with um, grief and anger or even despair, but as Christians, we're called to a higher way, to, to um, the holy way, to God's way, um, and that is of love, even for those who persecute us and um, attack us. And so if you would like prayer, pastoral care, or counseling, or you just need a listening um, ear, someone to uh, listen to you as you help uh, to help you process things, Pastor Q and I are available. So please reach out to us anytime by email or by phone. We're having this courageous conversation, super appropriate timing, the courageous conversation that's happening on Saturday. Join us. Bring your stories. Bring the conversation. I can tell you right now, there's going to be crying. There's going to be cleansing of just being able to, like, you know, cathartic moments of sharing. We've done that through the whole Black Lives Matter um, as we talked with our, our black brothers and sisters and lamented with them. Um, and we will do the same about what's happening with uh, Asian Americans. And even, again, as I was reading in the... Um, all the media and stuff. Some of the other uh, store owners where those um, spas were, they were saying most of them are majority owned by uh, um, Hispanic, Latina um, people. And they were also quoted in the news as saying, we need to stand together with our Asian brothers and sisters because we're next. You don't know they're gonna be targeting you know, us next. And so it's just this vicious cycle purely of evil, of hatred, that breaks our father's heart, that um, breaks our hearts, because what breaks the father's heart should be breaking ours. And the attack, persecution, and racism against people is so an abomination to who God is and who we are as Christians. So yeah, let's just come. Let's come and let's just pray. God, we lift up this prayer. Lord, you see our hearts. You see our grief, our angst, God, our raw emotions. Father, we pray, Lord, that as you have called us to be your disciples and also to be making disciples, God, that is a lifelong uh, process, God, a journey that we are on. Father, whatever we may be thinking, whatever we may be doing to process through these moments, God, I pray that all of it, leads us to becoming closer to you and maturing and being able to follow you and in the end to be transformed, to be more like you, to be an example of you here on earth, on this broken earth. So God, we look to you. You are our hope. In Jesus' name, amen.